We're starting a new series today, and um, it's going to cover the whole month of September. It's going to cover the whole month of September. And, and today what I want to do with this series is I kind of want to give you uh, some stuff to chew on, but at the same time I want to leave you with, a, uh, with an introduction of, uh, and built up what we're going to do for the next three to four weeks. I think you're going to be blessed by this series because it's something that we all go through as you see what the title is. The title of our series is this. Ready? It's titled, I'll do it later. How many of you have said that phrase before? I'll do it later, right? All right. How many of us have said that phrase? I'll do it later. Okay. I know that I live by that phrase. I speak that phrase out a lot. I'll do it later. You know, for so many, this phrase phrase is used, right, so often. But as it is used, how many of us use it? Do not raise your hand. Do not shout and do poke at the person next to you but we use it as an excuse right as an excuse to dismiss the responsibility that is required of us so that we don't have to fulfill that responsibility i'll just do it later and it could be more of an excuse than it is a truth in our lives that is for sure at least in my life i'll do it later yeah right yeah right you know you're not going to do anything later Look at the person next to you and say, you ain't doing anything later. Yeah, not one thing. But now that, that the husband, you look at her and, and you tell her, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And we do that and we use that so often. We say it. Why do we say I do it later? Why do we, why do we say it? Doesn't it do this? Doesn't it just calm the situation? It calms. It soothes. It soothes the situation. Unless it's someone that knows you very well. Uh-huh. I'll do it later. Okay, I got out of that one. I calmed it down. Things are getting a little bit heated. But then someone that knows you very well, and there's, and there's no way of escaping that, they know that I'll do it later literally means, what? Well, I forgot. I, I just forgot. Or maybe not now. Maybe it means I don't even know how to do it, so I'll just do it later. Find someone else. That's what I'll do it later might mean to you. Find someone else. Or... It might just mean, whenever you say, I'll do it later, it might just simply mean this. Please don't bother me, right? How many of you say, I'll do it later, and that's what it means. Please, just stop bothering me. And your wife, men, guys, they know that when you say, I'll do it later, they probably know you're not going to do anything. You don't know what you're doing, and, and you just want to be lazy at the house, and you're not going to fix it. My son, you know, he's walking, and he's saying some stuff, and, I, and he's going into cabinets, and he's opening them, and slamming them, and opening them, and slamming them, and it's all you hear in the house, is boom, 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 and it's just like, he's banging the cabinets again, and he's doing a good job at it, he's mastered it, my wife, since he was a baby in the crib, Rigo, we need to start putting the, those clips that stop the cabinets from opening, love, ow, yeah, I'll do it later. How many of you all think that I've done it already? Yeah, I haven't done it. My son is still playing the instrument of cabinets, but it really means don't bother me and I'll do it later. And we've all probably fallen guilty of saying that at some point. We've all probably spoken those words at some point or another. But I think that today as I get into this message and we jump into this series, I think we could agree that we've all been here with the Lord. I'll do it later. And that's what I want to talk, out, talk about for the next month. You know, you know what I mean? He calls you to do something. 
to stand up for something, to give, to give more, to serve, to serve more, to talk to someone, to read his word, to pray. At times he's, he's even clearly just moving our hearts or he brings things to our minds and he puts a desire maybe deep in our hearts and he fills us even with an emotion about a certain something that, that we've never even really cared about. I wonder if anyone has ever been there. And then you've caught yourself crying out to the Lord and one of the words and one of the phrases that you use is, Lord, I'll do it later. At least I have. I'll do it later. You know, you, I'll, Lord, I'll take my faith walk more serious later. I'll get serious with you later. I'll do it later. My, my prayer life, I'll do it later. I'll serve to a greater capacity later. I'll fix my marriage. I'll do it later. My relationship with my children, I'll do it later. I'll make things right with people at work later. Exercise and get healthy. I'll do it later. How many of us have been there? Come on, man. Let's just be honest. I'll do it later. I think we get the point. And maybe you're just tired of that phrase today. Like you, you came to church today and you had no idea that this is what we were going to share today. And you're like, why is he talking about me? And I'm just going to tell you, it's God. The person sitting next to you did not text me or call me. Literally, God is putting this before your lap. And you're just tired of that phrase. You're tired of what I'm going to call today a cushion. The cushion of, I'll do it later. That safety net, that excuse. Have you noticed this? That the more you say, I'll do it later, the more problems it brings. And it accumulates to greater things. And I pray that throughout this month, that this church is challenged, challenged to fight the excuse, challenged to fight off laziness. How many of you can say amen? Challenged to fight that constant ignore of doing what needs to be done and that we attack that I'll do it later attitude and we will be transformed into I'll do it now attitude and mentality. So why this series? Why would I... Why would New Life do a series like this? Why are we going to hit this up for a whole month? Why this topic? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because now more than, I, I mean, every time things like this happen in my life, it, it's just a reminder. You see, this is why we did this. Because tomorrow is not promised to anyone here. That's the reason why. Tomorrow's not promised to anyone. As a matter of fact, Proverbs, uh, in Proverbs, there's a scripture, and in tw chapter 27, it says this. Don't brag about tomorrow. Don't brag about tomorrow because you don't know what that day will bring. Don't boast about it because you don't even know if tomorrow will even get here. Be very careful about tomorrow. In the book of James chapter 4, verse 14, he says something very similar and he gets a little deeper into it. Look what, look what the book of James says in chapter 4, 14. He says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Hey, anyone here know? You might have plans for tomorrow. How many of you have plans for tomorrow? Right? But do you, do you know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow? No. You don't know what's going to happen when you get in your car and you drive to work, when you get to work, when you get out of work, what happens during the time of work, when you get home, what's going to happen when you turn on the news. Those are things that we don't have control of. We might plan for tomorrow, but we are not in control of tomorrow. Amen. And, and James says, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't even know what's going to take place. He says this, what is your life? He's asking, he's asking you a question for what's your life of? And then he answers his own question. He says, well, this is what life is. It is like a vapor. 
It's like a mist. It's here for a little time, but, but then it's gone. It, it vanishes. The NLT, the translation says, it's like a morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it is gone. Is that true about life? Have we experienced that in our lives with people? That, that life is, is here, but you blink, and then it's gone. Like, where did it all go? Where did it all go? Uh, one of the worst things that I do aside from pastoring is I teach high schoolers and I blink my eyes. And I'm like, where did those years go? Because I say phrases, right? And I say and I do things and they're like, you're weird, you're corny, you need to stop that. I'm like, wow, well, when I was that age, it was the thing to say and do. You see, where did, time is like a paper, it flies, life is not promised for even anyone tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow and what will happen in it, Amen. So, so why I'll do it later? Because later, tomorrow, is not promised. So what do you want to talk about then? Well, what I want to talk about is what? Now. Because the only thing we have is now. How many of us struggle because of the past? Guess what? The past is gone. And you'll never be able to go to the past and you'll never be able to fix the past. And you'll no, never be able to put things in place in the past. The past happened. It happened for a reason. We grew. We learned from it. But we stopped living in the past. Church, can I get an amen? The only thing that we live in is in the now. Because the Bible even says that not even tomorrow is promised. Cherish now, now. So I want to get over the I'll do it later mentality. At least in my life. I want to get over the I'll do it later attitude, at least in my life. And, and I want a, a life that says, I'm going to do these things now. Because I know that there are some things that need to be pushed aside in life. I know that there are things that do consume us. Things that are actually drawing us away from the Lord instead of drawing us in. I understand that. And some of those things we don't have to do right now because they're not necessarily important for right now. But then there are other things, church, I need you to grasp this, that cannot be avoided, that need to be confronted, and that cannot wait till later. Amen. And I want to make sure we understand that. And it could be anything for you. I don't even know what all of you go through. But it could be facing fears. It could be regrets. It could be past sins. These are things that need to be addressed in order for us to grow our faith, our surrendering our all to his service, our serving him to the full. These are things that can't wait till later. God wants us and God wants to use us when, church, want to take a guess, when? Now. Because tomorrow's not promised. Tomorrow's not promised. I want to do it now, God says, so let me do it now. Proverbs, I was reading this when I was with my brothers in DR, and I shared it with some of them. I don't know if I shared it with Phil. I know I shared it with Eli. I want to read a passage with you, and I want this passage. This is, <clears throat> this is going to be the passage that takes us throughout the whole series, throughout the whole month, this passage right here. This is the passage that created the series, I'll Do It Now. Watch this. Watch this. It's Proverbs 22, 13. We'll put it up here, and if you have your Bibles or you're taking notes, you could write that down. But in Proverbs 22, 13, look at wise King Solomon says. Ready? He says, the lazy man, the sluggard, the lazy man says, there is a lion outside. I shall be slain in the street. There's a lion outside. I'm going to be killed if I go outside. Right? And that's what we're going to break down throughout this month. Just that verse. We're going to be on it. 
Every time we come up here, we're going to start off and we're going to hit up that verse. Every single time we're going to start with this verse. But, you know, I read this passage and I say, well, what makes this man so, can we just talk, watch, let's, let's dialogue for a moment. What makes this man, just read, the, read those words. What makes this man lazy? Seriously, what makes him lazy? Fear. My brother's thinking, fear. Because when I read this, I don't know about you guys, but I say, this guy's smart. <laughs> He's, he actually sounds pretty wise to me and, and pretty smart to me. You see, why would I go outside if there is a line out there and he's by my car where my car is parked, does not make sense. I, I shouldn't say this because then it's going to make me look really bad, but should I say it? All right, there's, there's lions. There's, they're like lions, but they're cats in my neighborhood, right? There's, my, my neighborhood is filled with cats. But let me explain to you what I mean. They're filled with cats because my neighbors in, a, in the community I live in, they feed them, and I'm like, stop. And then I have a lady that lives right down from me, and she feeds them, and I see her like, mm, kitty, kitty, kitty. And, she, and I look at her, and I feel like kicking the food and saying, go feed the cat somewhere else, you know? Because, let me tell you why. She feeds the cats, and then I have a, a jungle. I have an army of cats in my neighborhood, literally, at whatever time. You know how bad it is carrying your son when he's half asleep at a knife from the car, and, you're, and something goes right in front of you, like, oh, I'm going to die. Do you understand what that does to you? I don't think you understand. And then you're next to your woman, your wife, and you have to act tough. Like, what happened to you? Nothing. I got and you have to act, you know, but not me. I'm just sitting like, ah, there's a, and it's a cat, you know. And, 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 and you don't understand what that does to you, dude, at that time when you're not expecting on, on your feet when you're carrying your sleeping son and being bold next to your wife. And I hate when they sit on my car and they're just there and they get on all fours and their butt goes up. And they just stare at me and I'm like, and they don't get off. I'm like, shh. And I'm not going to throw a rock. I'm going to hit my car. You can ask my wife. It's, it's filled with cats, our neighborhood. And there's times I'm like, move out the car. And it doesn't. It's almost sitting on my car. And it's just like, Purr, what are you going to do? And the truth is I don't do anything. I just sit there and I wait to see this cat needs to leave because I'm scared that if I walk to my car, the cat's going to jump on me and his claws are going to attack me. And, I, and I'm scared of that because, because you're, such a, you're such a sissy, Regal. My neighbor got attacked by one. He was walking to get his mail and one of the cats jumped from the tree and he sliced up his whole face and neck. I don't want my, my neck to be sliced. So that's just a cat. Proverbs says there's a lion outside. And the lazy man says, I can't go because I'm going to be killed. Hey, listen, if the cats, I'm scared they're going to scratch me and attack me. I don't want to kill a cat in my neighborhood. So I try not to even go out there. But, but here's a lion. A lion is by the car. It makes the man actually look wise to me. Stay home. Pray. Pray a little bit. Pray for the cat to leave. Pray for the lion to move. Because outside there's a danger waiting for the man. It's waiting for him. And the truth is, if I look at Proverbs twenty-two thirteen, 13, couldn't I say I'd rather remain in here where I'm safe? People need me in life. My, my family And you see this, and, and I say it sounds wise to me. I'm going to jump back to Proverbs in a second. But there's a scripture in the book of John, verse 10. And the word of God says this. The thief comes only to steal and what? Kill and destroy. 
But I came to have what? That you may have life and that you will have it what? Abundantly. So now I read this passage. There's a lion in another passage. And John tells me now there's a thief in another place. So now I'm all going crazy. We got a lion over here and a thief over here. And there's a lot of problems in my life right now. But when I read John 10 and when I read Proverbs 22, I recognize that this thief, if I were to ask you right now, who's the thief? All of you guys will say, Satan. Satan's the thief who's coming to kill, who's coming to steal, and who's coming to destroy. But as I read Proverbs 22, 13, the lion, and I read John 10, 10, I recognize that the lion and the thief is not always Satan in our lives. It's not. I know what you're thinking for you guys that know the word of God. You're already in your brain quoting 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And it's okay. I'll read it to you just in case. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary, the devil, he is prowling around like a roaring lion, and he's seeking someone to devour. I get it. Some of you probably said that. Oh, well, the Bible says that Satan is a lion. And yes, the lion outside can represent Satan. It could represent the devil, the old serpent, who always works so hard to destroy our lives. But in John 10, we see that that thief as well, it's not always Satan, not necessarily. And the lion is not always Satan, as we might think it is. In Proverbs, it says, yes, there's a lion outside, and, I'm gonna, and if I go out, he'll kill me. And in John, it says, there's a thief waiting, and his agenda is as well to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So if... This lion and this thief, if it's not always Satan, then who in the world is it? What is it and what could it be? Well, what does Proverbs say? It says, the lazy man. Everyone say the lazy man. Right. He says that there is a lion. I love that because it doesn't even mean that it's necessarily true. It's what the lazy man says. doesn't mean it's actually there. But the lazy man said it. There's a, why aren't you going out to work? Why aren't you going out to cut the grass? Why aren't you going out to clean the house? Why, uh, uh, there's a lion outside. And if I go outside, he's going to kill me. I'm going to try that one today. The football game starts at 1. We're going to get there. And then my wife's going to say, can you go outside to the car? There's a lion outside. And the game is on inside. But the lady says there's a lion and I can't go outside. Listen, just because there is a lion outside doesn't mean that you allow it to dominate you. Just because there's this so-called line in your mind outside, you don't allow that thing to rule you or to determine what you will do or, most importantly, what you will not do. And the lazy man says, well, there's a line. The, what, is he, what is he really doing? The lazy man is staying put. So he's just staying ground. In our lives, these lines that are out there oppress us and they harass us. And the lazy man Instead of going out, he's being oppressed and harassed by that line because he's not confronting it. You see, the diligent, the active, those who are hardworking and full of life, these are the individuals who work out, walk out their doors every morning. And they confront the lions that are in this world, amen? And those are the lions that work hard to destroy us. I wonder how many of you had lions just, just roar at you face to face, huh? You guys get already what I'm talking about about lines or not yet? 
Truth be told, that lie and that thief, man, it's not always Satan. Have you ever noticed this? The greatest thief, the greatest lion that we might encounter in our very own lives, it might be ourselves. We're the lion. And we're confronting our own selves. See, this proverb shows us how far the lazy person will go to avoid work, guys. This shows us how far the lazy person goes to avoid confrontation. The lion is not what will devour this man. Church, what is it that will devour this man? It's not the lion. What is it? What does Proverbs say? It's his what? It's his laziness. And his laziness, his excuses, that's what devours him. It's the what? It's the I'll do it later mentality. It's the not right now. Outside doesn't look too good. Things are bad in my life. Things are dark right now. There's no hope right now. I'm in a very hopeless situation. And it's okay to be broken. And it's okay to mourn. And it's okay to go through tough times. But I'm going to tell you something. Those tough times, that brokenness, all those times and those circumstances in your life, they do not define you. What defines you is the victory of Jesus Christ, church. That's what defines us as the body of Christ. That's, what, that's who we are. And, and right here, we, we see that there's not, this man does not have this I'll do it mentality. This man needs to get out of his house, church. He needs to confront the lion and not only confront it, but by confronting it, you know the only way you defeat an opponent? The only way that you defeat an opponent is by what? Say it with me. Confronting it. You'll never be able to win unless you don't confront Unless you go to battle in the field, unless you go to battle in the ring, unless you go to battle. Confrontation brings forth what? Say it with me, it starts with a V. Confrontation brings forth victory. Confrontations in our lives. That's why there are lions in this world. Because the Lord says, in you, I've built a warrior to confront. And in confronting, I will show you the victory that is found in me. But the lazy man stays put. The comfortable person stays put. And they're being destroyed at home. They're being destroyed by excuses. Listen now. They're being destroyed by depression. They're being destroyed by thoughts that are holding them captive. And they're always giving some sort of an excuse. I can't do it. Hmm? I'll do it later. And they never experience the growth and the encounters and the experiences that the Lord desires to lead us through. I've been serving Jesus and God is just taking you through some crazy encounters in life. Anyone in here? Amen. I see some hands. Amen. Just some... Some stuff that would make people's knees buckle. Right? But now you come out of it with time. And you go back and you look at it. And what did it do to you? What did it do to you? Strength. Didn't it put a chip on your shoulder? Like, I could do all things that strengthens me. That scripture is actually real. Doesn't it do something to your spirit? Doesn't it do something to your person? I know that when we preach a message like this, that not everyone knows this Jesus that we're talking about. This Jesus that we could live in such power and such victory in, in such a dark and gloomy and disgusting world. I know that when we share a message like this, people don't, won't understand it, but I invite anyone who, who's here who does not understand this to try Jesus. 
to try the one who gives you the strength and the power to confront those experiences, those encounters, those lines. Do not miss out, guys, on a blessing today. Listen now. Because you had a mentality of, I'll do it later. Can I tell the church something? Let later worry about itself. And take care of now. Do what you need to do now. So you don't reap the troubles of putting things to the side. Of waiting for later. Have you noticed that waiting till later, it never results to anything good. Let's do what we got to do what? Now. I'm going to share a passage with you. If you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, put your eyes on verse 52 with me. When you're there, can you say amen? Luke chapter 9, verse 52. Forgive me, verse 57. Luke 9, 57. Are we there? Any amens? Luke 9, 57. Let's read this together. We're going along the road. Someone says to Jesus, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to them, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air, they have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another person, Jesus looks at him and says, Follow me. But this man looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, let me first go and let me bury my father. And Jesus says to that man, leave the dead. And they will bury their own dead. But as for you, you go and you proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 61. And then another one came and he says, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those who are at my house. The last verse right now, Jesus says this to him. No one who puts his hand to the plow... And looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Everyone read those three examples. Jesus is walking through a road. He encounters three different people. Three different people with three different stories. We got a bunch of people right here today with a bunch of different stories. And one story, I'm not telling you that it's not an important story because it is. Like this man right here, his father passed away. Very important. Very important. If I were to leave my house while saying bye to my wife and my kids, I'm going to get a text. I'm going to get a phone call. You know, you just left the house. You didn't even say bye. Well, you know, I was in a hurry. So this man's smart, right? He's a wise husband. Let me go back and say bye to the wife. Because if not, I'm going to hear it. I mean, there are good excuses, good things here. But, but, there, but there's really something that is being highlighted in this passage with these three different examples. And what's being highlighted here is the cost of following Jesus. It's a cost. It takes something from us. For each one, the Lord is saying what? Follow me. And that phrase, follow me, is a, is a key phrase in this passage for each encounter that Jesus is, each person that Jesus is speaking to. What, what we're seeing here in these three examples is that for these people, I mean, it's easy to stay comfortable and to, to, to take a path which is much more easier. But all of these would-be followers that confronted Jesus, ultimately, Jesus was not their all in all. You see, here is Jesus walking on a road, but in a road that he really does not deserve to even walk on. 
Because the Bible says that he left his glory. That he became flesh to come and die for us. So even Jesus himself left his own home to come to our home to appear to us, to show us how much he loves us and cares for us. How many of you could say amen? Thank you, Jesus, for leaving your home, for coming into my home and saving me. And as he leaves his home, he confronts these three individuals. But these men, these individuals, their first response was never to obey Jesus immediately. Every single one of them was what? I'll do it what? Later. And they have some good excuses. They got some things that if you were to tell me I can't go to church because I got to bury my, I'm going to be like, dude, of course. I'll never be like, no, you can't do that. You got to be at church. Like, who does that? Who, who would even do that to someone? But Jesus was teaching these men something deeper than what I, as a man, could ever teach you as man. He was showing them that I must be your initial first response to me, not later, now think about it, not after I do something that seems more important. Your official response to my follow me command is, yes, Lord, send me. Come on, man. It's never I'll do it later. What Jesus is teaching these three men is, uh, is my kingdom your priority? Is it? Your priority. He, he's showing these men that following him must take of high importance of every other relationship and obligation here on earth. I know. I know what happened to your dad. I know your wife's not going to cook for you dinner tonight if you don't say bye. I, I get the excuses that you're saying to me. But what Jesus is telling them is this. Following me. Following me takes precedence. Upon every other earthly relationship that you have. How many of you can say amen? Follow me. What was Jesus communicating here? I should be your highest what? I should be your highest commitment. They're okay. Parents of whoever's child that was, they're playing a game. But Jesus should be the highest commitment. I love verse 61. Can everyone just look at verse 61 for a moment? Look at verse 61. Lord, I will follow you, Lord. Oh, how many of you have ever told the Lord, Lord, I'm ready to follow you, right? No? But then there's a comma. What does he say right after the comma? But. There's no buts in the relationship with the Lord. Lord, I'm ready. Lord, I want to. But, wait, can we do it this way? And God's like, hey, you're either in or you're out, man. But, Lord, I'm ready to speak to them. Lord, I'm ready to start praying. Lord, I'm ready to start giving. Lord, I'm ready to start being healthy. Lord, I'm ready for you to use me. Comma, but there's something in my life. I want everyone now to look at verse 62, right after that but is said. Right after that, what does the Lord say? I want someone in here today to read verse 62 out loud. Go ahead, angel. Did you guys just read that, hear that? But, Lord, I will, but, and Jesus said, hold up, man. The reality is this, that if you put your hand to the plow, if you put your hand to the kingdom, if you put your hand to the things of God, but you continue to look back, I understand you just gave me a but, 
But I want you to know that that kind of person is not fit for the kingdom of God. So I read this passage, and the only thing I could write down in my notes, there's so many things you could write, but I write this, no more Lord buts in our lives. Come here, come here. How many of you know that God has gifted you and anointed you and graced you to do something, to be something special for his kingdom? Seriously, how many? Okay. There's a lot of heads nodding, there's fingers going up, and I'm glad I see that. So watch this. So what are we doing? This passage is clearly showing us that what? Well... With what I'm revealing to you, there's no more, Lord, I know you are calling me. I know you want me to. I know you've gifted me, but there's no buts. It's, Lord, it's either now because later is never promised. And let's no longer make an excuse to do things later. Because what happens is there's a people that do this. They, they put their hand to the field. They put their hand to the plow, but they look back. They're not God. Do you want to know why the person who begins to serve God and begins to put his hand to the plow and looks back, is not fit for the kingdom of God? Because if you're on a plow, and you have some oxen leading that plow, and, they are, and you're leading them, and, and, and they're plowing the ground, and you are holding their reins to maneuver them wherever they're going, and you start looking back, and all of your strength and all of your forces looking back at something from the past, what eventually happens to that carriage with, that is being led by the oxen whom you have the reins to, and as you start to look back and they're plowing the ground, what eventually happens to the path and to the direction that those oxen should be going on? What happens when you look back? Does anyone know the answer? It begins to veer off. It begins to drift to the side. And it's the same thing in our spiritual lives when we're serving the Lord. But, oh, my God, I could just take some of that for a little while. And the Lord says, no, you can't be all in and then look back because eventually your life is going to begin to what? Veer off. And when you veer off, nothing good ever comes from going another. Stay on track, church. Stay put. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all things, the Bible says, shall be added unto you. Stay put. Stay grounded. Keep fighting. Keep struggling. Keep going. Don't budge. Don't look back. It is worth it. The cost to follow me is worth it. Don't do it later. Do it now. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. There's not a later. It's a now thing. And the church needs to do it now. The people of God need to do it now. Don't, don't, don't go straight and look back and then veer off. God's going to be like, where are you going? Get back on track. Look forward. Keep going. Do you know what James chapter 4 verse 17 says? When I was preparing this message and I came across this verse and I remembered it, I was like, my goodness gracious, I got to share this with the body. I got to share this to New Life because I love you. Look at this. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. For that person it's a sin. Like God is saying what? I've called you to live for me, to know me, to love me, to serve me. Stop making excuses. Like seriously. There was like, hey, everything else you've tried out, did it work out? It hasn't really worked out. So what else do I have to show you? Come to data. It's like me with my son. Every time you go alone, you fall and you bust yourself. Come to dad, I'll lead you. I will lead you. I'll take you by the hand. 
And what's beautiful is I'll walk before you to fix the steps that you're going to walk behind me so you don't trip over it. Come. Don't do it later, church. Don't do it later. If you know what needs to be done, you know the right thing to do. The Lord says, and he who does not do it, it's sin for him. Do you, are you really happy just going to continue to take from fruits of other trees that are never fulfilling you and never leading you in the right path? And you keep saying, my God, when is my life going to change? And God's like, it will. But now, you got to come to me now. And James just wowed me out. He's showing me this, this thing. I know, listen, I know what the right thing to do is. I know it. But come on. Do not leave me hanging, please, man. Love me today. How, please. How many of you have known the right thing to do, but you've chosen to do the wrong thing? Everybody, yeah, all of us, huh? Yeah, we have. I saw some of you who didn't raise your hand. You're liars. You know that. I love you, but you're lying to me. Yeah. Yeah. I know what the right thing is, but come on, how many times do we what? It's like, that's a sin. You know what's right, Regal. And then we make up an excuse, right? But there was a lion outside. God's like, shut up. Did you not hear the story of Daniel? I shut the lion's mouth. That's the kind of business I'm in. And you're worried about a lion. <laughs> Did you hear about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were thrown in fire. I stood there with them, and the fire, instead of heating them, it cooled them off. Come on, that's our dumb excuses. And we give excuses, but Lord, I fear, but Lord, what will people think of me? But Lord, I'll never be able to be used like that. But Lord, I'm insignificant. But Lord, I'm inadequate. But Lord, I can't. But Lord, Lord it won't. But Lord, it never has happened. And Lord, it will never will happen. And Lord, and God is like, shut up with all those excuses. I've closed the, the mouth of all those lions. Do you understand that I've called you to live to your full potential? Now and not later, church. Romans, Paul was going through this. Look, I love Paul. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. But in chapter 7, verse 19, Paul says what? For the good that I wish to do, I don't do it. What is Paul saying? I know what's right, and so many times I do what's wrong. The good that I wish to do, I do not do it. But look what he says next. But the evil... The evil I do not want to do, church, what does he say? That is what I do. And that's what I continue to practice. You know how one translation says it? Listen to this. Very, very broken down, but yet very interesting. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can, I can will it, but I can't do it. Really, really, hold up, hold up. You could will it, but you can't do it. Who do you think put that do it attitude in? Who do you think put that desire first in? The Bible says that God puts the desires in your heart. But I have a desire, but I can't do it. God's like, what do you mean? You think you just came up with that desire? I put that there for you to conquer that line? I can't do it, but, but I, can't, I, I will it, but I can't do it. Look what he continues to say. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. What is Paul saying in this translation? He's saying what? I've learned how to just stay in the house and not do what I've been called to do. There's a lion outside, and he's going to kill me. I'm going to end with this passage. And I think it's going to bless your life. It's all the way in the Old Testament. 
and it's the book of 2 Samuel. If you could turn there for me. And in 2 Samuel chapter 23, as we get ready to close off the service, it is something that just blessed my life. I really want all of you to be there and write this in your notes. So I'll give you about, I don't know how many seconds you need, but go ahead and turn there and shout at me when you're ready. Don't whisper at me, shout at me when you're ready. A bunch of high aliens, you all trying to act like you're going to whisper at me. Some of you taking a stop sign. I hear, I hear you guys from the church when someone takes a stop sign. Oh, hey, Dave. I'm not going to say it. Second Samuel, we there? Check this out. I'm going to talk to you about a man by the name of Benaiah. He was one of David's men. David had, just check this out, David, King David, he had an army, right? But within this big army of his, he had 30 that were called mighty men, 30 mighty men. What do I mean by mighty men? They were recognizable men. They were, they were brave men, recognizable, brave men. And in 2 Samuel, look what it says about Benaiah. It says, Benaiah, verse 20, was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. Everyone, look at this next verse, ready? He had killed two lion-like, come on, man, you couldn't even get better than that. Seriously, he had to kill lion-like people? Two lion-like heroes of Moab. But guys, it gets better. Hey, like the lion-like people are not good enough? Watch what else he does. And he also went down and he killed a what? Yeah, I ain't lying to you. I ain't lying to you. He killed a lion. He says, he killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Hey, listen, don't trap a lion in a pit. It'll never end good. One of the worst things that you could do to a live animal is feel like, cause them to feel like they're trapped. Sometimes all you got to do to a live animal is what? Make a noise and they leave you. But the minute that you feel any kind of animal, you could get a little chihuahua and you trap that thing. They'll automatically think I'm in danger. But this man grabs him in a pit, traps him in his pit, and the Bible says he kills him on a pit on a snowy day. And in verse 21 it says, And he killed an Egyptian who was a spectacular man. And the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. And he went down to him with a staff. Hey, real quick, if I were to tell you there's an amazing fight, ready? There's this Egyptian spectacular fighter. He has a spear, and there's this other man who has a staff. Who's going to win? All of us are going to put our money on the what? The Egyptian with the spear. Well, this guy goes with a staff, a piece of wood. And he wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand. He kills him with his own spear. Pretty cool, man. Love it. I'm a man. I like this kind of stuff. It's awesome. Kills him with his own spear. And then in verse 22, it says, These things... Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did. And he won a name among three mighty men. He was honored, more honored than the 30. But I want everyone to look at what it says at the, e- the end of verse 23, and this is what I close with. What does it say? And David, and David appointed him. Appointed him over his guard. I'm going, to write, I'm going to read to you exactly what I wrote. I wonder if David's appointment in Benaiah's life had anything to do 
that he consistently attacked lions, that he never backed down, that he never gave an excuse, that he never voiced a concern or doubt, that he never spoke or thought a phrase like, I'll do it later. But instead, Benaiah did what? I'll do it what? Now, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We have a worship team today. As you examine your life, you examine your heart, I want you to, to look at everything that we spoke of today. And I want you to really put everything in perspective, and I want to just pray together. But we talked about so many key things, guys. Next Sunday and the Sundays to follow, this is what we're going to do. And let me get your attention. We're going to grab different lines that, rep- that are represented in our lives. And we're going to talk about each one of those lines. Today I gave you a broad perspective of what these lines do and what they can be. But as you stand here right now, you know very well the lines in your life, the excuses. You know very well the phrase of, I'll do it later. But I wonder how many of you here right now know that you are called for right now. How many of you right now, your heart has been pounding and you know without a shadow of a doubt that it's not a coincidence that you're here. Maybe you're from the house and you know very well that today God has confirmed something in your heart to destroy excuses, to destroy that fake imaginary mentality of, but it's dangerous and I can never, and I never will, and I can't. And that from this day forward, We will attack these lions and that we would recognize that I could do this stuff now. That I could be the person that God's called me to be now. Used the way God wants to use me now. Serve the way God wants me to serve now. Live and love the way God wants me to live and love now. How many of you is God speaking to today? Amen. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes as, as we pray today. And as you close your eyes and as you just Go ahead and examine your heart and examine your life. If the Lord is speaking to you today, if the Lord is reaching and touching your heart today, this is what I want you to do with every eye closed. I'm not even going to ask you to come up here. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. But if you know God has called you, not for later but for now, and you needed to hear this message and God spoke to you, and you want to make a stance today, and you want to say, God, I'm ready. Lord, I'm ready to hear that command to follow you. Give me the strength. Teach me how to do it. I'm ready now. If that's you, with every eye closed, no one's looking at you, but if you know God's talking to your heart today, and he's ministering to you today, I want you right there where you're at. Can you just quickly just raise your hand and say, God, that's me. God, I know you're speaking to me, God. God, Lord, let it be me now. Anyone else, Lord, that's me. Lord, help me. This is what I want to do. If you raise your hand right there where you're sitting, and everyone else, if they could help me, can we pray for them? And let's say this, ready? Right there where you're at, repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. I come against the attitude that I'll do it later. 
Give me the strength to live for you now. To be obedient to you now. So I receive your will in my life. Strengthen. Teach me. And allow me to attack lions. In the name of Jesus. Amen. As we close, I end with this. Benaiah killed lion-like men. And Benaiah killed a lion on a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an amazing Egyptian too, not to say the least. And David had his eyes on him. And David said what? I will appoint this man over all my men. I want you to know today that God's eyes are on you. Your king's eyes are on you. And I want you to know that he will appoint you to a place that you thought you could never stand and reign in because you attacked the lions in your life and you show bravery with the spirit of God that lives in you. Amen? So church, I'm telling you right now as we leave, the Lord has appointed you. Attack those lions. Conquer those fears. Conquer those lies. And in the next month, don't miss a service. This is a month to bring everyone that you know so that they could attack lions in their lives and be the people that God has finally called them to be. How many of you could say amen? Amen. Amen? Hey, check this out, man. Jesus loves you. And I want to invite you here on Wednesday, guys. Come. We're going to talk this Wednesday. We're at the end of our Revelation study. We're actually talking about the eternal kingdom. How many of you want to know where you want to live at for the rest of your life? I do. Come. We're going to talk about how heaven's going to be like. The new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. I encourage you to be here at 7.30 on Wednesday and be ready to be blessed. God loves you. Go out in the power and the peace of God. You are loved. Amen? I love you guys.